Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, well, we've uh, kicked off a series uh, about four weeks ago and just looking um, at where Jesus, uh, who was the Word in the flesh, Jesus said things and they became scripture. We reference them all the time, but there were pivotal moments in Jesus' life where Jesus did not say something new. He could have, but he did not say anything new. He, instead, he said what was already written. He said what had already been said. And in that, he is modeling for us how you and I, as the children of God, can be able to grab a hold of what God has already said and utilize that in a strong way in our lives. We've just called that version, in a little modern twist, we just call it a retweet, where somebody has tweeted something, somebody has said something, and then we identify with it, we grab it, we make it our own. And so, uh, and so we're seeing where Jesus, as the Son, retweeted God the Father, and just be looking at this. We're going to be doing this for a couple of more weeks, and in that, we've been looking heavily at there at the at Jesus being tempted in Matthew chapter 4, and if you've got your bulletin that we left on your seat, you got your Bible app open, you can track together in our notes, and we've looked at this idea, we've kind of launched with this every week, that knowing what God has to say on an issue is vital to making life-giving choices, and, and our launching Scripture is Psalms 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It's a lamp to my feet. It shows me where I am, and it's a light to my path. It shows me how I can move forward from where I am. I don't have to be stuck where I am. I don't have to just have a spotlight on the fact of that I may be not where I should be or maybe that there's some progress. Praise God that we get some revelation of what's going on, that maybe some things need to change. Maybe some things aren't quite in line, but it is that same word is a light to our path that shows us we, we can move forward. There's a, there's a path forward. Life can, God's got a plan for our life, and, and we can do that. And light is important. In fact, I spent a big chunk of my morning this morning making sure we have some light in here. And so, because it was dark, and, we, and so we just scrambled, we just took the electronic controls out of everything and just plugged everything directly into the power source, bypassing all other controls, bypassing everything that wasn't going to cooperate, and plugging it directly into the power source. Guess what? The truth is, is when we go to the Word ourselves, that's exactly what has taken place. We're going directly to the power source. I'm thankful that you showed up. I'm thankful that you came and connected. I'm thankful that you're listening to me right now, and I hope to help you to connect with the Word. But there's a place where you need to connect with God's Word on your own, that you don't always rely on somebody putting their spin, their thought, their opinions on it. As a minister, I'm here to help coach you to to do what the Scriptures say of rightly dividing the Word. But I believe you can read the scriptures and God will speak to you. I believe that you spend time in the word and God's word is going to lead and guide you. You don't need me to hold the flashlight. You can hold the light. You can begin to connect. You can begin to grow. And so we want to make sure 
that we are embracing that and doing that because honestly, the truth is, is there's nothing more that the enemy would like for the, but for us to be isolated from the light. If we'd have not got the lights on in here, it would have been a very different experience this morning. It would have been, we probably just would have done it anyways. We'd have just met in the dark and we'd have just figured it out. We'd have just done it. But it would have been a different experience being able to, to have light, be able to do that. In fact, we have to have, in our, in our building, we have to have emergency lighting. Because if things get really sideways, if things get really ugly, then we have to have this battery, battery backed up emergency lights that everything kicks on so that when everything goes sideways, we can at least see to begin to move forward. In our most, in our most important emergencies in life, the most important thing we need to make sure is that we come back to the word, that we keep the word on. It's a lamp to our feet and is a light to our path. And we need to make sure that we stay connected with that. As we continue to look at Matthew chapter four, I want us to make sure that we understand this. And you're like, pastor, we have referenced this for four weeks in a row. We're beginning to get it. I hope so. You know, it's one thing that's interesting. It's an interesting thing if you go through the scriptures and say, hey, when Jesus was tempted, you know what? Every time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Fun fact. It wasn't put in the scriptures for it to be a fun fact for us to know. It is put in the scriptures so it would be a life choice, a life pattern so that we understand when Jesus himself was attacked, if he went to the scriptures, we need to understand this is a foundational truth for us, which is why we're spending a lot of time putting this in us so we get this. Because the truth is, is that no matter how many times the enemy came at Jesus, he always answered with, it is written. Always. No matter which angle the enemy came, he came at it this way, it is written. He came at it this way, it is written. He came at it this, another angle, another need, another desire, another thing that honestly God the Father was going to carry Jesus into. The enemy always promised what God the Father was already going to provide. He just tried to get him to get it a different way. The enemy can't really offer us anything unique and special. Everything that's of value Every good and precious gift comes down from our Heavenly Father. It comes from Him, and it comes from Him alone. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Jesus answered, again, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is where the real nourishment, real sustenance, real substance of life comes from, is every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a, a book that came out years and years ago um, called Good to Great. Um, it's uh, referenced um, in a lot of corporations and businesses, and um, it, it's, it's a good book. I, I've, we, I've utilized it um, in, in helping to, to, to guide. It's got a lot of wisdom in it, and, um, but it's just a, it's, it's a secular uh, book. Um, on, on business, but part of it is they look at and analyze businesses that were able to just shift from just being solid, good, and to step into this place of greatness. And one of the principles they look at is this principle called the hedgehog principle. And Jesus, Jesus shows us 
exactly what it was. Jesus was onto this well before anybody else was. It's just what you're gonna find of every truth. Somebody out there stumbles upon some genius and it's been in our scriptures right there the whole time. And so that's, the, that's just the way this always goes. But with this hedgehog principle, it connects with this ancient Greek fable um, that talks about the hog, I mean the, uh, the fox and the hedgehog. And that the fox knows all these different things and he's foxy, he's able to try all these different things. And the hedgehog knows one important thing. And every time the fox attacks, the hedgehog does what a hedgehog does. He curls up into a ball, his little spines stick out, and guess what? No matter how tricky the fox tries to be, the hedgehog always wins. He just sticks with what works. And here we see Jesus showing us what that looks like. Folks, so many times we feel like we want to do something new and exciting. We want to put some new sweet revelation, some new amazing thing. The truth is, is are you walking in the revelation you already have? Are you putting into practice the truths that God has already showed you? So many times we want to get the latest and greatest book, and I'm great with, with being educated on things and, and understanding fresh revelation and stuff that God is, is showing the body of Christ as a whole. I'm, I'm totally into all that. But the first and foremost thing is, what has God already spoke to your heart? Are you walking in that? What is, God, what is the truth you already know that you should be leaning on and grabbing a hold of? Are you doing that? Jesus showed us that we come back to over and over and over and over again what God has already said. Already said. We lean on that in a strong way. And so we're going to see here that, that when we track through the, some more of Matthew chapter 4, that the enemy tempted Jesus to shortcut God's path for his life. Then he tempted Jesus to shortcut God's path for his life. There was a path. There was a path and there were places where Jesus was going. Things were going to be taken care of. There were things that were, that were in place. But the enemy saw that and tried to be able to try to get Jesus to shortcut things. You'll understand that, that the tactics that the enemy used on Jesus are the exact same tactics that he's going to try on you. He recognizes that you're made in the image of God, and he can't stand that. He can't stand that. He can't stand that God image, that God stamp in your life. And the last thing he wants is for that to flourish. And so as you begin to step into it, he's going to try to get that to get off and to get derailed and, to, and for things to get sideways. <clears throat> I remember years ago when uh, I was a, a young husband and wanting to, to make a, a, a dish and uh, do some baking and had not done much baking growing up. My, my mom, my grandma, they handled all of the baking. Um, and I didn't realize that for every dish, its temperature is vital. Whatever temperature you put that at, it's vital. And so I thought it was like a suggested thing, you know, and that, you know, that it wasn't this solid piece, that it was like one of these variables, you know, and like I, I understood math. I understood that. That was my strong suit in, in school. 
And so, you know, you, you want to move one thing over here. It's got to be adjusted to balance out on this other side. So I was want to uh, make a pan of brownies. So I'm going to make this pan of brownies. I needed, I only had I started it too late. Wanted to make it a little faster. So instead of baking it at 375, I was like, man, if it's going to take 20 minutes at 375, I could get this down to 12 minutes at 500. Anybody's done any baking knows that what comes out in 12 minutes at 500 isn't anything you want to eat. You get this weird concoction of char and raw. Like, how do you do that? How do you get it charred on one part and raw and messed up on still on other parts? But it did not work. We tend to, every time we try to shortcut something, every time we try to figure out, well, you know what? If I just kind of boost this up over here, it'll take care of this shortcoming over here. You know what? I'm pretty strong on this side. I can ignore this weakness on that side. I'll just double down on my charming personality and people will maybe overlook my lack of integrity. I'll double down on my, my ability to work and go and do these different things, and maybe people will ignore some of the places where I'll cut corners in the process. And every time we try to shortcut, the, only, the main person we hurt is ourselves. There are times that they have unintended consequences for others, but we end up hurting ourselves. See, we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, and today I really want to, to double down on this particular temptation. And, and it says, again, the, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Jesus was aware of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He wasn't showing him anything he was unaware of. But the enemy tried to, to just really paint this great picture and, and get put on his, his best slick salesmanship uh, deal and take him up on this high mountain and just show him everything. And, he said, <clears throat> and uh, it says, all of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Pastor Steve pointed out that uh, Jesus did not say, well, that's a lie. You don't have it to give. The truth is, is the enemy did have it to give. Humanity, Adam, had been given dominion in the garden of the earth and relinquished it and his disobedience and willfulness. And the enemy was at that point, this, this place was his place of dominion. Jesus would soon take it back, but it was his place of dominion. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He again comes back to what's already been declared. The enemy is trying to, to get in and get Jesus to shortcut what God was already going to carry him into. It says, and then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. I remember my first real uh, graphic understanding as a child of these negative consequences, and that you, there's certain things you just can't rush. 
And um, whenever I was a kid, I grew up in a church that uh, participated in a thing called Royal Rangers. And um, it was uh, it's like a Boy Scouts that's, that's uh, very focused on, on God and raising up disciples. And, and so we were as a part of that, and we go on a camp out, and we go to the uh, Davis Mountains. And, um, and so as we go there, if you've not been to the Davis Mountains, they're, be- they're beautiful, but it's a rugged beauty. It's not like going to Rio Dosa with a lot of pine trees and stuff. It's a real rugged beauty, real arid desert mountains. And, and uh, so lots of rocks, lots of stuff like that. So we get there, and whether or not um, it was the best idea uh, to take a bunch of, you know, 6 to 12-year-olds on a night hike um, may not have been the best idea, but we all go on this night hike and go up this up the side of this of this hill as, as me I was six or seven years old and it was like going up the side of a mountain it was amazing and I had my little flashlight and it was so exciting and and going up there we go up as we go up there at night there was one of our my little contemporary campers one of my little partners in this one of my friends gets freaked out and decides he's done with the night hike and he wants to come down the mountain and so one of the adults decides he's going to take him down the mountain and is going to carry him down and walk him down the mountain. So it's just, but the kid begins to just get more and more and more afraid. We continue our hike, we come back, and then we get word as we're coming back that the kid had got real scared and would not listen to the instruction and decides he's going to expedite coming down the mountain. He starts running down the mountain um, in the dark ends up falling, cuts his head, ends up having to go into town, into the ER, and get some stitches. Well, head wounds bleed. Cut your head, and they just bleed really good. So, man, I tell you what, as all of those leaders, as we were coming down that same trail, we went up, and they are pointing out um, this kid's blood on these rocks, and they're like, this is what happens if you don't listen to the leaders. And, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, I will pay attention. I will do. And and as it's just a young it's just a young boy, there was just a vivid memory. And my dad was on that trip, and I remember him telling me, you know, he took off running. He took off going down the mountain, and he should not have. He would have been much safer to go at a normal, reasonable path. So many times when we are stepping out into what God has for us, man, there's this place where there is, a, there is an end to the journey. And if we try to rush it or shortcut it or take it into our own hands and we don't obey the leading of the Holy Spirit, he is not trying to slow us down because he just wants to watch us suffer a little longer. He is doing that because that is, our, that is the best route to get us where we're going to go. He is not holding something, any, anything from us. He is trying to carry us to somewhere. And if we will go with him and trust that his timing is the best, that if we walk into this thing and, and walk with him, then I'm telling you that we will get to the destination he has for us. When we look at Exodus 13, verse 17, <clears throat> when I saw this years ago, I was like, Lord, this makes so many moments and Brandon Clark's personal spiritual journey make sense. It helps to make sense. And it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, 
God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. It was shorter. Their journey, the promised land, where they were going to go, was just on the other side of this Philistine uh, country. Guess what? If you're familiar with your, with your scripture, we understand as things unfold, they deal with the Philistines. They conquer the Philistines. They end up at some point having to fight the Philistines multiple different times. But in this moment, at this place, God, who, who parts the waters of the Red Sea, who provides them with manna to eat out of, that's just an absolute miracle, who does all of these amazing things, God takes them on the longer route because, not because God was limited, but let's see what this says. It says, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Their destination was, God was never going to change his mind about their destination. The variable was, were they going to change their minds about their destination? Were they going to hit hardships too difficult that they were going to then say, you know what, it's not worth it, I'm out of here. And as we walk, as we look at it, as we go, as we read through Exodus and, and we get see the wilderness, um, they grumble and complain and ask to go back lots of different times. They never do, but they're like, it would have been so much better. Being slaves was better than this. Are you kidding? You just walk around, you eat food that gets dropped on your doorstep. God's the original DoorDash. He did that for 40 years. He was Uber Eats. He dropped it on there every day. And they're like, oh, no, it was better. I remember when we ate onions. Onions? Give me a break. Onions are of the devil. Onions are nasty. How are they slimy and crunchy at the same time? That's a demonic spell did that. They are messed up. How did I even get off on onions? But we, <laughs> um, but if they face war, they'll change their mind. They'll change their mind. So God took them on the route that their minds would go. He took them on the route. Not that was the shortest geographically. Not even that whether or not his power was going to be at play. It was how are their minds going to connect? And guess what? The Holy Spirit is leading you in a way where he is taking your mind into consideration. It is still your mind. You still have to make the decisions. And there's still places you'll be tempted to change it. But I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit is leading you in a direction, that is the strongest path for you to go in. And you need to go that route. I don't care if it looks like, Holy Spirit, you need a map. I see it right there. Why are we going this way? God, it is over there. I'm telling you, he is taken into consideration what's on that route and doesn't want you to change your mind about what's on his mind. 
He wants you to stay connected with that. He wants you to walk with that. And here we see in Exodus that he took that entire group of people's understanding and carried them the long way around. Sometimes the long way is the short way because it is the way we will go. We need to understand that. So don't pull into the shortcuts. Lean on what God, where God is going to lead you. The next thing we need to understand is be careful not to trivialize the consequences of a single act. Here is all of a sudden, Jesus could have easily thought, you know what? Um, I was sent here to get back dominion. And wow, I thought I was going to have to go to the cross and do all this, but here it is. It's right here. All I got to do is, uh, all I got to do is just do this little thing and and bow down and and worship the enemy, and then you know, then we can we can squish him and handle it on on the backside of that. We just we go ahead and get what we've came to get to begin with. We can begin to downplay and trivialize a single act. This is all this I'll give to you if you'll just bow and worship me. But Deuteronomy 30:19 reminds us that this day I call heaven and earth as witness against you. Where he had come from, heaven, and funny enough, everything he was surveying. So he took him up on a high mountain, showed him all the splendor and the glory of the kingdoms. Heaven and earth stand as a witness right here against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. There's a place where we have to, where we daily are choosers. There's blessing involved. There's blessing involved, but there's also cursing and death. And folks, you and I, we need to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide us to choose life over and over and over again. See, every place of need, <clears throat> every place of need Jesus was tempted to shortcut, God met. God met every one of them. It wasn't like that was the one thing. It was just, and it was just a hard no across the board. It was those needs were eventually met. And we're reminded of this for us, the Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We have a promise. So this place, we can rest in that and, and not have to be pulled into all of these different things where we can begin to try to shortcut and derail what God wants to do in our lives. First off, we see immediate hunger was taken care of. In verse 11, it says, and then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, you know what? The, the temptation was to have a miraculous provision turning stones into bread. Well, guess what? A miraculous provision was in its way. The angels showing up and providing and caring and, and attending to his needs. We need to make sure we just stay the course. Remember, we already talked about Jesus was truly hungry. It wasn't like, no, it's all right, I'm good. No, he was hungry. He was hungry, but he knew his, his greater need was for the word of God than for even that. That was a need, but his greatest need was 
the, every word that came from the mouth of God. The next thing we see is physical preservation. He gets tempted to be thrown off of the pinnacle of the temple and show that the angels are going to, boom, catch him. He's going to do like this angelic bungee jump. He's going to jump and boop, and angels got him. And, and, um, and that is just not... Uh, that is just not the case. And we see that he, he enjoyed and lived out dramatic physical preservation on multiple places. In fact, there was a moment that the crowd had rose up and wanted to take Jesus out. They tried to kill him before the cross. In Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 29, it says, and, and they got up, this is the crowd, they drove him out of the town. They took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built. We keep having these mountain moments here on the, this, this pinnacle of the temple, here on the, on the high mountain showing everything. We hear on the brow of this hill try to throw him off and in order to throw him down the cliff but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way I wish there were some more details on that it's just so casual but he just he, he walked through them there was enough that they ushered him out of the town enough energy enough stuff and he kind of rolls with that it's enough that they usher him to the edge of the cliff and he gets all the way over there, and then he's like, nah. And then just walks through. I mean, what was it like parting of the Red Sea? Did they all, were they all leaning? Were they all like, and he just walks through? It was like a little bubble, and it looks like they're like bitten, knocked back. I mean, how did this look? I would love to see how that looked. But what matters is, is they had no authority to take his life prematurely. They had no authority to do it, and he just walked out. He didn't smack them. He didn't fight his way out. Come on, guys, I'm about to take you out. No, he just, he just left. He just walked out. Acts 2.32 says, and God, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of the fact. So whether it was preserving his life and there on the cliff, or, or of course raising him once he had gone, he was, God's hand was on Jesus for life. And there was this promise in Psalm, promise in Psalm 16, 10. It says, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Jesus' body never decayed. The resurrection came. So what the enemy was trying to promise, trying to provoke, trying to say, hey, show that you're gonna be taken care of physically, and protected. Jesus lived it. Then proof of sonship. He was challenged on this over and over again. If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God. Matthew 3, 17, it says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Pretty amazing display of voice from heaven. Matthew 17, 5, it says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is again another mountain moment here on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my son whom I, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then John 12, 28, <clears throat> Jesus 
cries out, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. We see multiple moments where there are miraculous places where Jesus' place of sonship, of being connected, as he calls out to Father, and the Father answers audibly from heaven, as there's a place where audible voices from heaven decree that he is the Son of God. There is this place where he didn't have to prove what was already true. He rested in it. He rested in it. He rested in it. He rested in it. And then the next thing we see is this place of rulership. We understand and we call Jesus King of kings and Lord of lords, but as he was there on the earth and ministering, he was called rabbi and teacher and um, called a lot of different things, but he was not referenced until it comes into Palm Sunday and they begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and recognize him as king. And it was there toward right before his crucifixion that on an earthly level, they began to recognize him as king. And the enemy tried to say, guess what? I will give you this place of rulership and dominion and all the kingdoms if you'll just bow down to me. It was years later. That was at the beginning of his earthly ministry. At the end of his earthly ministry, the people he came to, to show his messiahship to finally begin to respond. And, and here in John 12, 13 says, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And then we see in Revelation 19, 16, it says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, king of kings and Lord of lords. On his robe, and on his thigh. This is the one place in the scripture that Jesus sounds like a wrestler. That he's got a robe with who he is, his title on it, and he's got a thigh tat. That's what it sounds like. It says his, the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords is written on his thigh. I don't know that anybody took ink to Jesus' thigh, but he's got words written on his thigh. The scriptures say that is king of kings and lord of lords. And there's this place where him as ruler, as king, was solid and established. See, Jesus' ultimate victory was gonna happen when he was lifted up on a mount. Then we tried to take him up on a mountain and get him to step into some role of being king of kings and lord of lords by going the wrong route, but Jesus' ultimate place of being truly King of kings and Lord of lords was won by the most selfless act anybody has ever done, and that was on a mount called Calvary. And in John 12, 32, it says, but when I am lifted up from the earth and will draw all men to myself, and he said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die, and in John 19, 17, it says, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, uh, which is Mount of Execution. He there on a hill far away on an old rugged cross, Jesus ultimately won forever 
the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, not because he walked in with a sword and with might and power, but because he did the direct opposite. And he walked in and he laid down his life and did the most ultimate service to humanity ever. See, Jesus says, if you want to be king and king or you want to be leader, you want to be great, you've got to be servant. The reason Jesus is king of kings is not because he's God's son and he got it through nepotism. Jesus is king of kings and he is Lord of lords because he, want, he took it honestly because no one has ever served humanity like Jesus served humanity. While we were yet sinners, while we didn't care, Christ died for us. And that is why him liberating us all and setting us all into a new place of freedom and life in Christ, he is truly King of kings and Lord of lords rightfully because he served humanity. See, this morning our bottom line is, is our responsibility is to trust God's responsibility. We have to keep our minds connected on the fact that he will respond. That's our responsibility. We tend to try to take everything on in our, of our own, but God will respond. He's able He's active, and we need to lean on him in a strong way. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.